for us. Good morning, everyone. I'm Isaac. I'm the lead pastor, and it is my privilege to continue to take us through our series through Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. We are in week seven, and in this series, just these 13 verses, we're taking just a phrase or a word or two at a time to make sure that we put in our hearts what God would want for us. So let's get to our scripture. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word this morning? Give you a minute there. It'll come up on the screen. There it is. Ready, go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Ah, you can have a seat. Hmm. Well, today, that little phrase out of verse 12, rejoice in hope. Thank you, Reuben. Our church is called New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, this message series is all about how we posture ourselves before one another. And earlier in Romans 12, uh, Paul says, we must not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we need to have our minds renewed around this idea of hope. Today, we take a fresh look at hope. You can go ahead and be seated right where you're at. Yeah. Our attitude before one another needs to be grounded in hope. Now, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been a pastor for a long time, too. I've listened to a lot of messages on sermons and read a lot of books around this idea of hope. And what I've discovered about hope might be a little bit different, or at least with a, a more robust, not twist, I don't want to say that, but expression uh, this morning. And so this is where we're going this morning. Let's dive in to what hope is or how we get there. And I, I just, I've created a roadmap to hope for you. Three stops along the way. <laughs> that hope begins by mourning our present distress. And we're going to stay on road, stop, road, or uh, <laughs> what do I call it again? <laughs> stop one. <laughs> That's right. We're going to stay at stop one for a little bit of time because I think this stop is one that is less familiar to us. That hope is actually birthed from mourning our present distress. Number two, hope is built by recalling God's work in the past. And number three, hope is completed by trusting God to secure the future. You guys ready? Here we go. Right into stop number one, the roadmap to hope. We hope is built or begins by mourning our present distress. 
The world we know, live in knows a false hope. <laughs> and this is the false hope. This is an optimistic, better future based upon the work of our hands. That's the way that we're kind of taught and indoctrinated how to think about hope. But that's not what biblical hope is. The Bible's hope is much more gritty. It's much more gritty. So the older I get, the more sober-minded I get. And what I mean is this, that I trust God, but I'm cynical about the ambitious ambitions and promises of mankind. We cannot fix what needs to be fixed. I have a bum knee right now. I haven't been able to exercise for like four weeks. And so then I'm like, well, I'm just, I'll just eat better. I'm hopeless. I'm just hopeless. <laughs> My mom is here. She's fighting cancer. She hasn't been able to walk as well lately. And the drugs that would be helpful for her are not obtainable and it's been interrupted and it's made her life more painful. We can't just fix what needs to be fixed. My wife's an in-shape person and she's afflicted by unexplainable back pain, hip pain, ankle pain. It's ongoing and chronic. My daughter, who's on the camera today, is an emerging young adult taking responsibility for her life and then their car is stolen and a bunch of cash that she had saved to be responsible for the finances was also stolen too. None of this is unique. I know I'm not alone. This, these are our stories. <laughs> it's my privilege to be your pastor. I listen to your lives. Our lives are full of pain, disruption, concern, unanswered prayers, and long suffering. A theologian from the last century that I appreciate by the guy by the name of Jürgen. Everybody say Jürgen. <laughs> Jürgen Moltmann. He says this, genuine hope is not blind optimism. It is hope with open eyes, which sees the suffering and yet believes in the future. That's why I'm sober-minded. I take reality seriously. I take your life seriously. I take my life seriously. I don't think the scriptures invite us to ignore, overlook, glance off, glance off whitewash, these things does not ask for us to live a propped up life, but rather the scriptures invite us into God's gritty reality. As we'll see today, the scriptures are honest with us. But first, some more comments on how our present culture that we live in sees hope and teaches us to think about hope. Humans take it upon themselves to build a hopeful future. We live in a day and age where humans are quite convinced of our ability to control the future, to make it better without God. That's, that's the, the stew that we're all being steeped in. And so this affects us too. I'm not just talking about them out there, but this affects us, how we think about things. Humans tend to build systems that promise hope that humans ultimately cannot fulfill. Elizabeth Holmes is in the news again. You might know, uh, be familiar with Elizabeth Holmes. As a 19-year-old, as Holmes founded a company based on audacious hope called Theranos. I think we have a slide here. <clears throat> this company's goal was to create a one-stop, one-prick blood draw technology to test someone's blood for over 200 ailments, diseases, cancers, etc., and this was the advertisement that was put out by Theranos. One tiny drop changes everything. It's an advertisement of hope. 
We're drawn to it. The company wanted to bring hope. It all seems so good. Holmes was able to garner hundreds of millions of dollars of investment money, investment money for this technology so that you could go to a Walgreens and get one prick of blood and immediately be able to know if you were at risk for any of these diseases. Buying into this with Gusto, General Petraeus, Rupert Murdoch, the Walton family, Larry Ellison, who started uh, Oracle, one of the biggest venture capitalists, Tim Draper, and even Walgreens itself invested into this. But listen, after 15 years, the company disbanded after the Wall Street Journal found out that their technology wasn't working. They were lying about it and covering up their mistakes and failures all in order to keep investors investing more money. And Holmes is now on trial for 12 counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. Now there's nothing wrong with her vision. It was spectacular in many ways. One day someone may be able to invent something like this <laughs> and more people might live longer because it's easier to identify cancers and illnesses. But listen, even if the current medical industry were able to guarantee you 100 years of relatively pain-free life, would that change or fix the world's problems? No. Death is inevitable. Our impacts are marginal at best. And this is what is wrong with our culture. We think that humans can build a hopeful future, but only God is in charge of the future. And actually, he secured it already. Now, as Christians, we should work hard to bring good into the world, but our hope is based upon God securing the future, not our well-laid plans or our technology or our business startups. True and lasting hope is never based on the work of mankind. It is based solely on the work of God. Paul says to rejoice in hope. And this is what the scriptures help us to see about hope, that hope is first honest about the devastating reality of the present. Hope begins with tears and mourning, recognizing the collective goodwill of humanity is amounting to nothing. And we weep because we're far from God. And we're brought to tears over the last couple of years, we're seeing, right, that the best efforts of humanity, one, one solution just creates another problem. This is the way of the world. 2020 and forward, we're, we're emerging from an era that I would call a fog. So, okay, you have to follow me here for a moment. And as I said, we're staying on this point here for a little bit because <laughs> hope <laughs> begins by mourning our present distress. We are emerging from what I would call the abnormal. It's, it's, we're emerging from a fog. So I lived in Southern California in the 1990s, <laughs> the 1900s. That's what I should say. It just sounds way like more ancient. In the 1900s, I lived in, in Southern California. And, uh, and we lived about five miles from the San Gabriel Mountains, but the smog would obscure the mountains. So every day you just start to realize you don't even know the mountains are there. And then one day the smog would lift and you would see, oh my gosh, we live in the shadow of the mountains. I feel like we are emerging from a time where the smog is lifting. What we thought was real, we're recognizing is not real. And let me tell you what I mean. Follow here. Over the last 75 years, we've been living in abnormal times. I think it is, no, it is not, I don't think, it is. It is abnormal to live, for people to live under the protection of a nuclear superpower. So since the end of World War II, <laughs> there's been kind of like this standoff 
And there's been this false peace created by nuclear weapons. And I would call it a false shalom. Shalom is the peace of God. Peace based upon threat of total annihilation is not God's peace. But it's created this false sense of like, oh, the world will maybe not go back to what it was before. It is normal for people to live day to day and not be able to secure, or excuse me, it is abnormal for people to have the option to save for a recreational future. We call it retirement. That is abnormal within the context of history. My grandfather, who passed away this last year, ended up being actively retired for four decades, longer than his working life. He had a retired life. It wasn't wrong for my grandfather to do that. I'm just saying it's abnormal. It's abnormal relative to history for people to feel as though they can stave off death or suffering. But that's kind of the, the, client, the climate we live in. You know, we go to Dr. Rob and we're like, this hurts, fix it. And then we're confused. You can't fix what? <laughs> we think we can control a pandemic. We're realizing it's, whoa, ah. <laughs> flip flop, flip flop. Which way do we go? <laughs> Thank you, George, for chuckling. Yeah, you're <laughs> nervous chuckles. Yeah, bring up the pandemic and it's just nervous chuckles. Okay, it is, oh, it is also abnormal for people to not know their need for God. We have lived in an era which has caused for us to be numbed to reality and we don't actively as much know our need for God. We're moving towards the normal. 2020 and forward. And what I mean by the normal is the regular, regu <laughs> regular normative actions and reactions throughout history. It is normal for people to live without total security from threats, illness, disease, war, and occupying powers. And into that normality, God's hope can be birthed. It is normal for people to live day to day and not be able to secure their future. That is normal within the context of history. It is normal for people to be subject to early death and loads of suffering. That is what is real about our fallen and broken world. It is normal for people to know their need for God. This doesn't mean that people throughout history have always turned towards God, but people have known that we cannot control this world well enough. That there's something far beyond what we can see, that the spiritual world is true. We've been obscured from that reality by propping up of consumerism, <laughs> and propping up of the worship of money and technology and a persistent national idolatry, thinking that a nation can hold within itself the hope of the world when it cannot. I want, you, I want us to wrestle with this because we're moving into what is normal. People will recognize all of my hopes are vanishing. And what is left? Reality. And where is God found? In reality. And we mourn the difficulty. We weep. We'll see as the scriptures get to. The smog is lifting. So this reality might sting for a while. And I think that's where we're all at right now. We're wrestling, we're recognizing, whoa, there's convulsion and this is painful. Personally, you've been affected by this season. Personally, more than just the season, the regular suffering of life has got us off kilter in all sorts of places. But I have confidence as your pastor that God is bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we can be found in him. But we have to mourn that and not grab back onto false hope. The scriptures ground us in reality. 
that the world is distressful. And hope begins by mourning our present distress. So the scriptures affirm my sober and even cranky outlook. I feel like I'm becoming an old man. <laughs> we will look at a couple of passages to help us to see that the scriptures encourage us to be honest about the world and our feelings. Now, the, the Psalms are a collection of prayers and songs that teach us how to pray. And throughout the Psalms, there's all sorts of complaint before God. An honest assessment. And the Psalms are supposed to teach us how to pray. Just here's one example. Psalm 6. I could have picked a lot. This is a Psalm of David. In verses 6 through 7, he writes, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by, my, by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all of my enemies. You see how honest it is? And a part of what the Psalter, the book of Psalms, that teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches us to be honest. The writers of scripture do not ignore painful honesty. Some of us have been taught what I would call spiritual bypassing. Some of us come from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. We believe in the work of the spirit. We believe in God being able to heal us. And we do believe all of those things. But that kind of mindset can leave us with a blind spot. We don't quite know what to do when it doesn't go according to our prayers. We don't know how to mourn. We don't know how to grieve. And so we bypass or we ignore or we obscure or, we, or we, we, we say things like, well, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Mom, so your cancer is gonna be just fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a painful response that is not grounded in actual hope, but is a bypassing. I don't know what to do with this uncomfortable feeling. And so I'm going to say something spiritual or you're told to have faith. And if you just have faith and you ignore and you don't even admit that you have something like cancer or brokenness, and that is faith. I'm sorry. The Bible calls us into what is real. And what is real is there's brokenness that only God can heal and fix. And there's no guarantee in this life of what our, the outcomes will be. Hope actually is birthed within mourning our present distress with tears. The scriptures do not begin with happy rainbows, but with a truthful interrogation of ourselves. Jacques Ulul says this. He says that we must receive it, the Bible, as a question posed to us, allowing the scriptures to interrogate us concerning ourselves. And the question when we come to like mourning and suffering and hope and what that means, the question is this, are we comfortable with the discomforting truth that our world cannot produce hope? The scriptures over and over show us that the will of mankind, the work of mankind, the plans of mankind, as well thought as they might be, crumble and fall and take us away from God. Are we comfortable with that uncomfortable truth? And this season that we are all in as the world is tilting into a new era where the things that we were able to rely on in the past, we won't be able to rely on the future. The question for the Christian is, are you, are you comfortable with that? It is uncomfortable, but that is actually where hope is found. Paul writes about this before he gets to rejoice and hope. He sufficiently deconstructs our optimistic human-based outlooks. For example, in chapter three, Paul's writing to the, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles and he's letting them know that we are all hopeless. <laughs> and he says this, he goes, what then are, are we any better off? We, any of us better off? No, not at all. For we have all, 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. <laughs> He's honest with us. The scriptures interrogate us and want us to see. My wife said, when you preach this part, you should be like, it's like a police room and there's a lamp over your head and the scriptures are peering over at us, asking us, do you hope in nothing but God? If you hope in anything else, you will be disappointed. These are sobering, real, painful truths. Our human-based optimism dies with the scriptures. Things are not looking up. Rather, they are what they are apart from God. Desperate. We mourn this truth. And that is where hope begins. Mourning our present distress. Oh God, woe unto me, a man of unclean lips, Isaiah said. Woe. There's no one righteous, not even one. However, there's more. Okay, we lingered on that first point for a while, didn't we? I want us to get there and to feel and to become better at mourning with each other because hope can be birthed from that. Stop number two. Hope is built by recalling God's work in the past. Somebody say amen. amen. It's getting better from here. And I feel the wind-up preacher in me starting to uncork. Are you ready? Here we go. But God, this is Paul, he goes on in Romans, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The focus in Romans is, man, the world has gone to H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> you know, every individual human is so, some of you are like, what hockey? We don't play hockey around here. Every individual human is so off, skewed, veered off course, and so on a crash course with brokenness, and therefore every society and every culture will be misled and will be, will be destined to brokenness. But God is love. He has love. And how do we know that God loved us? That he sent his son to live and to dwell among us. We look back that at the right time within history, Jesus Christ came. He came right into the pincers of history and was, was thrust up onto the cross. And all of the reality of the world and its brokenness and its false hopes and how it conceives of bringing hope into the world was pressed. And God himself was pressed onto the cross. And in that, in that very real and broken state, hope was birthed as Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he whispered that, the reality of what was happening in the spiritual world, he uttered into existence because all hope was lost, except for it did not end there. All right, there's a few people that are with me. And I apologize for the loud volume, but I'm passionate that there is no hope but God. And his hope comes right into our brokenness. Jesus does not wipe out or do away with our present troubles, but recalling his faithfulness builds hope within us. Paul goes on in Romans 6. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We died with Christ, Paul says. 
Our human-centered optimism died with Christ. Our trust in the systems of the world, the money of the world, the technology of the world died with Christ. Our own ability to secure the future died with Christ. It is all dead. (laughs) And I would say, don't prop it up. Don't believe in the hubris, which is a word that means prideful talk of your political party, your culture, your favorite podcaster or news host. They cannot fix the problems of the world. And every solution, as I said earlier, creates a new problem. Rather, hope in what God has done, who defeated death, defeated sin, defeated hell, defeated all the powers. Ultimately, God has defeated fear itself because his perfect love casts out all fear. We live in the reality of this new and emerging kingdom of Jesus that has been established right in the middle, right as as Jesus is a flag planted on the cross, right in the middle of our desperation and our disfigurement. He planted that seed of hope so that we can walk in his way according to the king who is the king. Somebody say amen. Hope comes as we recall the word, God's work in the past. And then stop three, hope is completed by trusting God to secure the future. Paul says in, in Romans 6, as we just read, that we are raised in resurrection. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We will, a future promise that we receive in present faith, a resurrection like his. Paul goes on in Romans 8, verses 24 through 25. For in hope we were saved. New hope that is seen is, or now hope that is not seen. (laughs) Here we go again. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope that is not seen is biblical hope. We do not see what will be, but what will be is secured by the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, but we cannot see it now. We cannot manufacture it now. It is not up to us, but it is up to him. We do not focus on the things that we see, but on things unseen. We don't evaluate from a human point of view, but from a spiritual point of view. We receive hope by faith. A person of true faith does not project their preferred future onto God, but in advance trusts God no matter what. A person of true faith does not project their preferred future onto God, but in advance trust God no matter what. In faith, we receive the future reality of God making all things new, as he says in Revelation, that one day there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. We receive that hope and faith, knowing that it may be beyond our lifetime when that is fully put into into reality, but we receive that hope in faith. In faith, we love our enemies for we know that one day they will no longer be our enemies as God is reconciling all things unto himself. In faith, we lay down our need for security, our preoccupation with defending ourselves, and we give up our personal preferences knowing that our personal preferences do not lead to the kingdom. We all want a better retirement. We all want a secured future, but ultimately we will What we want is what only God can provide, ultimate and eternal security found within him. And he's calling his people in this moment of desperation, will you plant yourself where I have planted myself at the foot of the cross in humility, knowing that only I can make all things new. 
And that is the kind of hope that will outlast any cultural moment that we are in. Say it again with me, amen. In faith, we receive what isn't yet, knowing that one day it will be. This is with the psalmist in Psalm 42. Just have the reference here, you can see it later. In the midst of their angst, they begin to ask themselves a rhetorical question, or maybe not a rhetorical question, but an honest question. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? And I would say that our, we get downcast and disquieted when we are relying on the hopes, the securities of this world to be our foundation. <laughs> and what we realize is Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. What we realize in a season like this is why are we disquieted? Because we've got one foot on the rock of Jesus and we've got one foot on the sand. And 2020 was a big Oregon ocean wave and it took out the sand. And now we are disquieted. And Jesus is reaching and grabbing and pulling us up onto the firm foundation of Jesus Christ where we can grieve what we have lost and what we hoped in, grieve the world and the pain and the suffering all while planted on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. The psalmist gets to that point and tells herself, hope in God. For I again shall praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, but then I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Miser. I remember, oh, I'm built on the strong foundation of Jesus Christ. Hmm. In order to hope in God, truly, I have to repent of my false hopes, the sinking sand. I want you to take a few seconds and take a mental inventory. What do you hope in first? What our world offers? What we can see, control, bank account, the future retirement, how you look to others on the outside, your emotions. I mean, that could be a place where we start to trust how we feel on a certain day. What do you hope in first? I'm gonna put that in your mind because in a moment we're gonna say a prayer of confession and that would be one of the things that you confess to the Lord as sin, trusting in anything other than him. Okay, with that in mind, keep that in your mind. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Some other application. Invite you to pray with us at nhgroups.org. You'll see every day a different psalm that we pray through. We are really needing to learn how to pray. And the psalms teach us how to pray much more broadly than our, uh, you know, kind of me-centered, um, you know, pop candy and, 
happiness and rainbows prayers that we tend to like, you know. It's like Hallmark has taught us how to pray and not the scriptures. <laughs> and you'll find times, ah, this, is, this is gritty, it's real, it is. Also, you'll notice around here, like in a moment, we're gonna say a prayer of confession, we're gonna read it together, which is more like a, a liturgical church. And just wanted to mention to you that we're just, we just realize we need help knowing how to pray. That's the only reason we're doing this. We're not trying to elevate some tradition or become a different kind of church. We're just recognizing we need help. And there's some things within the context of Christian history that help us to do that. So you've noticed that and there's purpose to it. And we just say, Lord, teach us how to pray. The second thing, pray the prayers of confession here at New Hope and in our daily prayers. We don't realize how broken we are. And so we pray prayers that are not based on our awareness or our desire. I don't quite know how much we actually trust the work of our own hands, our own emotions, our own feelings, our own false theology. <laughs> and so we confess. And then the last thing, for those of you in community groups, and, and I hope that all of us would be in community groups Contend for honesty about your hurts, your pain, and what is actually going on in your lives. That's where hope can be built. Donnie and I had a moment like this a couple of weeks ago. We saw some great friends from where we used to pastor in, in Cottage Grove. And, and this couple reported to us just devastating story after devastating story about their, their adult children. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And and I withstood the temptation, like you want to make a moment like that, like feel better. So you, I, I was tempted to say something like, you know, well, God is with you and he's going to work through all this. You know why I want to do that? Because I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. But I withstood that temptation and I allowed myself to go into weeping with them and to mourning with them. And we were literally sobbing, Donnie and I, with them. And then in those tears, our prayers, our prayers of desperation, our prayers that were much more like, only you, God, can fix this because that is what is true. And hope built and the spirit was speaking and there was so much love there and the presence of God because hope begins with mourning our present distress, not overlooking it, glancing it, giving it a spiritual platitude, but it begins in mourning. And I think some of us need to be in a place of mourning for your own brokenness, for those around you, for what you're losing in the world. And my confidence is that hope will be built as you allow yourself to go there. God comes into your reality, not into your imagination. God comes into your actual life, not your projection of your life not your facade. He meets you right in what is real. So in sum, today we've learned that hope begins by mourning our present distress. Hope is built by recalling God's work in the past. Hope is completed by trusting God to secure the future. Well, each week we remember the death of Jesus through communion Communion sobers us up. 
Communion shatters flimsy optimism. God entered into our broken lives, our broken world, not because of our great potential, but simply because he loved us. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, all illusions of the world being a hopeful place are shattered. The swings of Rome's hammer, they weren't cruelly intended, but they were the logical conclusion of its own promise of hope. A swing to crush those who do not believe in the hope of Rome. A swing to remind people that a peasant's best hope is to fall in line with the will of Rome. A swing to limit hope to the promise of the empire. Rome did its best to continue the long lie that hope is built by what we can see in the world, by the wisdom of great men like Julius Caesar or Marcus Aurelius. But Jesus conquered Rome's best tool. Its best tool is death. But Jesus conquered death. Communion swallows optimism whole and produces hope. Death to life. Embracing again the death of Christ into our very body so that we can live with this life. Whether I have or I have not, whether I'm wealthy or whether I'm poor, whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy, I have this hope as a firm anchor to my soul. As we sang earlier, it is well. And our it is well only comes on the, on the tail end of what Jesus declared. It is finished. So today, let us confess our sins of trusting in the work of our hands. Would you stand with me as we read together this prayer of confession, and then I'll give you direction for communion. Ready, go. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we should be humbled by the cross of Christ, but we often live, speak, and act pridefully. We often think that we can make a better future than you can. We confess our sins of pride. Please forgive us and make us humble before you. We receive your love offered to us in sacrifice. Amen. So Danya will be at one side and I'll be at the other and the, the worship team is just going to linger here for a moment and would you come and make two lines and we will say a communion blessing over you and then you can take that back uh, to your seat and then the team will lead us in a song of hope in just a few minutes but partake of that back at your seat whenever you're ready and what we will say to you as we give you communion is that from his wounds Jesus gives you hope. All right, come.